0: All right, welcome to the Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. And guys, some things are happening. Uh, we've been in a holding pattern for months. Um, Major League Baseball and MLB Players Association finalized a return to plan, re- return to play plan, last night. Um, your early impressions on, uh, on that in general. And, uh, specifically, I think we want to talk a little bit, and I, I know this is very much on un, undetermined at this point and, and very much up in the air, but how are prospects going to be impacted this year? What, you know, what, what can we expect development wise, um, for minor leaguers and prospects?
1: Well, it sounds like it, it's, I mean, obviously still fluid. Um, you know, I, I think there's two ways, you know, one, with the word that we're going to have, I guess, 60 man pools of players available to big league clubs to play in the big leagues, which will be the 40 man roster plus a 20 man taxi squad. You know, I, I think one of the more interesting things is, you know, what do you, you know, how will teams approach that? Like if you're the Tigers who even in a 60 game season, I would not expect to contend, you know, you have all these, these, you know, close to big league ready pitchers who are pro, you know, who a need innings, you, 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 you got to keep innings. You can't just rat ratchet guys down to a minimal amount of innings and expect them to pitch full season next year. But you have, you know, Casey Mize and Terrick Schubel and Matt Manning and Alex Fiedo. you know, depending on the service time implications, which I don't think we know yet um, for the taxi squad versus the active big league roster, do you put some of those guys on your taxi squad and and get them some innings because you know you need to continue their development, you know and I would think on, you know, contending clubs we'll we'll see you know not only prospects on forty man rosters but you know maybe you know I, I could see the potteries making a wild card run. I mean maybe we see Mackenzie Gore. I, I would anticipate Luis Patino on a on a taxi squad and we see them in the big leagues. But it's I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head, but that seems like that'll be the most obvious way at least with the current plan i mean what what do you guys think
2: yeah it's um you know i think like like everybody there's still a lot more questions than answers especially how you know as it pertains to uh you know the the guys that, that we cover i think that's a good point jim like with the padres like i think i think Mackenzie gore if this were a normal season would have pitched his way up to the big leagues at some point you know now this is a way to maybe ease him in uh and uh and allow him to be part of that taxi squad and then then bring him up you know I, I don't know where these taxi squad players are going to be how they're going to continue to get work uh you know i, I think all of those questions will need to be answered because you know nobody's been facing live anything maybe they'd be throwing bullpens sure uh you know staying in shape working out absolutely uh, but that's a, a far cry from being ready to get big league hitters out or face big league pitching. Uh, so, you know, how they're going to try to keep this larger pool of potential players to use in this, in this abbreviated big league season, I think they're going to have to try to figure that out. And, and maybe each team is going to, is going to do it differently. Um, you know, uh, the fact that right now in Florida and Arizona uh, it's not so great, in terms of COVID, I think makes it a little more complicated, uh, for teams that, you know, the, I think the easy answer would be, well, let's just go to their complexes there. But I, like, I, I don't know how, you know, viable an option that will be. So I'm curious to see how it unfolds. I think, uh, there's going to be a lot of scrambling to get everything ready. Uh, but it's nice to like actually talk about the possibility of baseball being played, uh, for the first time in a long time.
0: Yeah, it's, it's still, uh... At this point seems very sort of theoretical um you know with with the way that things are going with covid and trying to imagine how this is how this could possibly work and the all the logistics involved and and last minute planning and um but also just looking at some of the protocols that would be in place uh to to prevent the spread of covid just had me thinking about what the game would actually look like. Um, you know, no celebratory contact, high fives, fist bumps, hugs, etc. cetera. Uh, non-player personnel must wear masks in the dugout and bullpens at all time. Uh, social distancing encouraged as much as possible both on and off the field. Um, a ball will be thrown out once it's been touched by multiple players, no spitting. But chewing gum is allowed. I see. Um, it's just hard to imagine what this actually looks like on the field.
1: It is. I mean, I, the way I'm looking at it is, if they can get this going, I mean, it's going to be. Look, it, it, you know, and I've heard people complain about, oh, it's only sixty games. I mean, we've all seen people comment on Twitter or this or that, or you know, it's not enough games to determine a champion. I just look at it like if they get this off the ground, it's baseball. I'll look forward to seeing it. Um, I do. I totally disagree with the notion. I've seen some people suggest, Oh, this won't be a real world series champion. I I think whoever wins a world series this year, you know, assuming all this comes to pass is going to be very happy. They won the championship. I mean, all, all you can really do. I, I think in this situation is, you know, I mean, we're, we're not going to have normal, we're not going to have normalcy this year. And if we get baseball, you know, great but it is gonna be weird I, I was i i just saw jason before we came on the air i think it was peter abraham of the boston globe tweeted something to the fact that if you get within six feet of an umpire during an argument that might be grounds for suspension which would be really weird um you know, i don't know if you object to balls and strikes and you're standing at home plate you have to back off and then start yelling at the umpire um <laughs> you're not allowed to do that anyway yeah yeah well you yeah but like you you don't get suspended necessarily i mean if you If you turn and start screaming at the umpire, are you going to get suspended? So, yeah, it's it's just going to be weird. And, you know, just like, you know, getting back to the development thing for a second. I mean, I think the other stage, you know, and Jonathan alluded to this, is if we can get things back under control, which they don't seem to be at this moment, you know, that we'll have either some equivalent of the Arizona Fall League. But maybe for all 30 teams or maybe you have the equivalent of minor league spring training. But, you know, there's so many things going on from a baseball standpoint that the one I just don't think has been talked about enough is the development. Like what a huge loss it's going to be if there isn't a development experience for your prospects this year. You know, I I alluded to with the pitchers, your teams generally ramp up their pitchers. You know, 25, 30 innings a year. You know, maybe you pitch 75 to 80 your first year, then 110, 120 your next year, then 150, and, and then you're ready for the big leagues. Well, if you ramp everybody, if everybody goes, you know, if if your development experience is your top prospects are pitching 25 or 30 innings this year, I mean that 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 might set back guys for a couple of years uh, across baseball. Like like I I just don't know. You know, with any of your top pitching prospects, if they pitch 30 or 50 innings this year, how many innings can you really get out of them next year? I mean, it might be two years before they can handle a a full workload again. So um, that's, uh, yeah.
2: No, I was going to say, I think that's a a really
1: interesting point and
2: makes me think that they're going to have to uh, account for that for whatever decisions they make for 2021. I I think that they're going to need expanded rosters 2021 because you're not going to have I, I think you're not going to have as many viable options for your you know for your rotation even among the big leaguers right They're, you know to, maybe they'd have enough time to you know ramp down and ramp back up for a full season but I think there's going to have to be some uh stipulating done you know that says you know listen this was this was unusual and it did not allow people to get the reps that they needed. And so we're going to give teams that, that added flexibility.
1: I, I think it's got to go beyond the, this year. No, um, yeah. no, I agree with you. You know, And, and that's our thing. Like, I mean, we all know teams, I mean, it's hard enough to keep pitchers healthy anyway. And we know they keep pitchers to kind of innings caps at certain ages. And like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know at a big league level. And you're just looking at the Nationals where you've got, you know, a lot of money sunk in the starting pitchers. You got, you know, Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer. You know, Strasburg and Corbin pitched over 200 innings last year, not counting the playoffs. Scherzer was 172, not counting the playoffs. I mean, what if those guys pitch, I don't know, what's the max they're going to pitch this year, 75 innings? You know, and I, I don't know what the answer is for, for guys who are in the midst of major league careers and are older. Can, can you take a Strasburg and a Corbin and a Scherzer, and, and take them down to 75 innings this year and then put them back at 200 next year. I, I you know, yeah, I know I don't know that either. I mean I think the effects of, of pitching both at the major and minor league level and and frankly the amateur level like like you know Johnson I mean you've done you know prospect list for 2021 and the top two guys were Vanderbilt pitchers. I mean if Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter pitch 20 innings this year, how many innings can they pitch next year at Vanderbilt? Like it's it, like this is going to affect baseball even you know when we get a vaccine and, and the coronavirus has been been kept at bay I, I think this is going to affect pitching two three four years down in the future
2: yep no I think I think that's that's right you know and there's all sorts of other things you can sort of that, that are interesting to argue about like what if a guy hits 430 does that count as like the best all-time batting average in the big leagues with so, like that's the fun stuff and I think on the on the developmental side uh, Teams are going to have to be really, really cautious, and and I am curious to find out um, what uh, you know what impact that has. And then thinking about the draft this year, where there were only five rounds, so you're, you're you're not adding as many arms as you you might have previously. So I don't know, man. A lot of questions.
0: Yeah. So. You know, we'll, we'll have to see obviously how everything plays out. Um, you know, there's a, a plan in place at the major league level, uh, the minor league level and with the prospects that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, uh, things are even less clear. There was a talk of Arizona fall league, possibly, uh, expanding to include a Florida fall league this year and, and. You know, who knows uh, whether that could possibly happen at this point with the way things are going in in those two states now. So a lot of wait and see there. Um, Jonathan, you mentioned the draft. Uh, We are a couple weeks beyond the draft now and uh, we've reported quite a few signings so far. I think approximately a third of the drafted players have signed at this point, around 50, I believe um how's everything going on that front uh as far as you guys can tell um any any surprises in the way that things are going or any um particular bonuses that were surprising to you
2: i um i mean i think it's kind more or less business as usual at a possibly slower pace so mostly just uh, logistics, you know, getting players in to take their physical, you know, the logistics of travel for that. You know, all that I think is been uh you know, it slowed it down somewhat, but not horrifically so. Uh there's you know, there's also no rush to sign a player to send them out to the short season ball because that doesn't exist. Um as far as the bonuses, I mean for me, there's been one or two where I'm like, oh well, like that guy, you know, a college player getting over slot, uh, you know, surprised me a, a little, a little bit. Um, not necessarily at the very top of the draft, but um, but you know, a little bit lower down. Um, but other other than that, I mean, Jim, I don't know, was, nothing's really like really jumped out at me and screamed like, "Wow, that doesn't make any sense."
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, we what you said is accurate too. I mean, we thought the physicals were going to take a little bit longer and it's i mean i think we've had i think six first rounders get announced as official signings the last 24 hours so so that stuff's starting to pick up um there is no hurry although i think teams are are just going to get guys done um and, and have them done you know yesterday when, when nick lofton signed in, in the supplemental first round And got $3 million from the Royals. And the slot was a little over 2.25. Had a few people who were kind of astonished that he got that. But again, it's just kind of knowing, you know, the way the draft worked. A lot of teams were on Nick Lofton as a possible, uh, you know, first round pick. And I think that was more a case of the Royals wanted him. And he fell to them. And, you know, they were happy to pay him. I mean, he might have gone in the – he might have been a money saver for some teams in the teens, um, you know, if you would taken a little bit more of a deal, but uh, no, nothing's really surprised me. And you and know, I've talked about this. I mean, I think we, we sit this in a normal year anyway, because in, in, in last year's draft, you know, where the top 10 rounds. Only two guys didn't sign. Neither was a prominent guy. I mean, barring guys, failing physicals, I wouldn't be surprised if all 160 guys signed. I, I, I just think teams, not 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 every one of these guys agreed to financial parameters before the draft, but a lot of them did, which happens in a normal year too. And I just don't think teams, you know, took guys without having a pretty good idea of what it was going to take to sign them. So it, I'll be I'll be curious to see who might not sign you know, I get, I'm sure you do too, Jonathan. I get, I did the two questions I get asked on Twitter a lot right now are one, who's most likely not to sign. And my answer to that is I have no idea because I think they're all going to sign. Um, I mean, certainly none of the first rounders seems in jeopardy from a, a bonus standpoint. And then two, the other question, it's like, I, I want to just say, how am I supposed to know the answer to this is what will the draft order be next year? And like, how am I supposed to possibly answer that question? I mean, are we going to have a season? It we're going to try, you know, like tell me if we play 60 games and then then I can tell you I know <laughs> I believe the agreement in March allows the commissioner to revisit the draft order if we have less than a you know, usual number of games which we certainly do in consultation with the union so the answer to that one is nobody has any idea and I really don't think anybody at MLBpa at MLB or the Union has spent any time thinking, "Hey, we got to pin down what the draft order is going to be next year. So
2: come on, Jim, just admit now that you're the one that decides on the draft order
1: every year. No, no, but but I'll throw out my suggestion. why don't why don't, in the interest of fairness, if we play a sixty game season, which if people are deciding that's too short to determine anything, combine last year's record with this year's record and use that to determine the draft order. So there that's. That way, the MLB Tony Clark, Rob Manfred can worry about other things. I've taken care of that for them. There you go. We'll clip
2: this and send it uh, and, and, and we'll send it to them. And I agree with you in terms of you know uh, every, you know almost everyone signed uh, you know over the last several years last year, every player in the top five rounds signed. and I think you're right like, teams were particularly cautious. were there some that they rolled the dice? Yeah, I'm sure there are a couple, but I think they're going to figure those out. Uh, But because of the fewer picks, I think they wanted to make sure that they had the ability to, to you know, to sign all them. And you know, as we sort of found out uh, somewhat after the fact, especially in the later rounds, uh, teams were approaching college players asking if they would sign for X amount. And when the answer was no, they moved on and maybe went off the board a little bit more. And I think that's why. You know you're seeing some of these kind of interesting college juniors who would have been, I think, under normal circumstances, day two picks, um, not sign and go back to go back to school uh, because they didn't want to sign for that amount, and they certainly weren't going to sign for twenty thousand dollars as a non drafted free agent.
1: Yeah, and one thing I picked up, Jonathan, I did not realize the signing deadline apparently does not apply to the non-drafted players. Um, so it's like the old rule that they can sign up until they, I guess, set foot in a classroom, a college classroom in the fall, which will be really interesting. What if, what if things don't get better and we only have online classes in the fall? I don't, I don't know how that rule would be interpreted, but um, right. so it's possible. I mean, I don't think we're going to see, you know, we talked about this last week. I thought we'd see better players sign and that's, it's, not going to happen. Most, most guys, most of those guys who are going to go around 6-15, to 6-20 are going back to school, which is going to you know, cause a mess with scholarships. But theoretically, if they change their mind, they could sign, say, August
0: 15th. I was just looking through the uh, list of players who uh, draftees who have signed to this point and uh, mostly in line the bonuses have been mostly in line with uh, the slot values. Um, some of the Bigger exceptions. Um, Justin Foscue, the Rangers' first-round pick, um, signed for nearly a million dollars under the slot value. Um, Braves' first-round pick, Jared Schuster, um, signed for about a half a million under the slot value. A couple players on the... Other end of the spectrum, Alex Santos, Astros first pick, uh, got 1.25 million, which is, uh, well over the slot value of 870,000. Um, Gage Workman, Tigers, got a million dollars where the slot value was, uh, 571,000 in the fourth round. And, uh, Dylan McLean, I guess on the flip side for the Rangers, mentioned uh, Foskey signing for well under slot value. Dylan McLean, 115th overall pick, signing for 1.2 million. The signing bonus value there was 502,000.
1: And the yeah, Rangers, kind of- while we were, I'm sorry, I was going to say while the Rangers were, po- while we were podcasting, the Rangers just signed their fifth rounder for 800,000. dollars Also, it's, I mean, most of those I think are, I mean, again it's technically against the rules, but every most teams know what the financial parameters to sign a guy are and agree on parameters with players before the draft. And I think that ramped up this year, even more than usual because with only five picks, you can't blow up your draft by, by screwing up the signability on a guy.
2: Right. I mean, I think, you know, I was about to say that Jason, you kind of answered your own sort of question about Foscue's bonus. It's, you know, being offset. And I think TK wrote, well, Tk Robey's the only one left for them. Well, then they just
1: T R Sullivan just tweeted they signed him for a little bit over slot. So I think they're done. But yeah, yeah. that's right. So they're done. Yeah. Oh, with
2: Roby seven hundred seventy five thousand. Right. So that's you know they they saved money on Foscu and uh, a tiny bit on Evan Carter to uh, be able to go over slot for for their three players who required you know larger bonuses. And that's that's nothing new. Um maybe it stands out a little bit more just because of the short nature of of the draft, but um I think that uh mm-hmm. you know that's something that teams have been trying to do in manipulating bonus bonus pools since the that system was implemented.
1: You are gonna see the Orioles do it too. You know, part of the I mean I, I I mean, you and I both know this, Jonathan. I mean, Heston Kerstad's a good player. And I think a lot of Baltimore's draft, the first day center around, hey, they didn't take Austin Martin at two. And Heston Kerstad is a very good player, probably the best lefty power hitter in this draft. But taking him at two when he probably wasn't going to go higher than seven and maybe as low as nine allowed the Orioles to cut a deal. And neither deal is official yet. Uh, for later in the draft, in the fourth or fifth round, they took two high school players, Kobe Mayo, a, a slugging third baseman from Florida, and Carter Baumler, a, a really projectable high school pitcher from Iowa, and those guys are going to consign for, it looks like, close to combined $3 million when their slots don't quite add up to a $1 million. So it's, I mean, that, that's why you do these things, is to figure out exactly how you can fit the puzzle pieces together.
0: Do you guys have a, uh, a feel for what Torkelson will get at number one overall?
1: I think he's going to get a full slot. I, he's going to break the record of 8.1, uh, the Adley Rutschman set last year, and I think it'll be pretty close to that slot that's a, a little bit over 8.42 million. They're almost done. Right. I, mean, I think they, they, they've they signed all but two of their picks now. So um, they've got Daniel Cabrera, who was, a, I think, a supplemental second-rounder, um, and, and Torkelson, but they've signed their their four of their other six guys.
0: That's right. Uh, Dingler signed for slot at one point nine five. Uh, Trey Cruz got nine hundred thousand, slightly above the pick value of eight hundred fifty-seven thousand. Uh, Gage Workman men- mentioned earlier got a million, and their fifth-round pick, uh, Colt Keith, five hundred thousand. So we've uh, we've actually already started looking ahead to the twenty twenty-one draft. Um, We'll go right from the from uh, 2020 draft to the 2021 draft. And one of the very few uh, live baseball events going on in this country uh, with high school baseball players over the past, uh, well, last week, was the Perfect Game National Showcase in Hoover, Alabama. Um, and, uh, Jonathan, I know you had put together an early top 20 draft prospects list for 2021. And several of those players were in action in the perfect game national showcase. Um, and then there were some players who uh, kind of popped up at the showcase and, uh, and will prob- probably have cemented a spot on uh, any future list that we'll do. Yeah,
2: it was, uh, it was fun to, to see players in action. I know the scouts that I talked to were excited just to have some information. You know, um, it definitely seems you know if if Perfect Game National was any indication, uh, this is a very arm-heavy high school class. Now, the sort of qualifier that goes with that is the fact that because no one's facing a competition, pitchers are likely to be ahead of the hitters. Kind of you think about like the beginning of the spring training. Uh, and as impressive as the pitchers were because they haven't had a lot of work, uh, they often like when they would sit down and get back up, uh, you know, the second inning, the, the stuff lagged a little bit, but understandable, but some very interesting first looks, um, right. You know, the top performer was, and he wasn't on that top 20 was Chase Burns. who's was a right-hander from, from Tennessee, uh, was up to, to 98, 99 miles an hour at best velocity. Um, good movement, uh, really, uh, really good slider feel for a changeup. Like so, it's combination of velocity uh, and feel for pitching. Maybe a four pitch mix. So this is a guy who kind of went from not completely off the radar, um, but uh, but further down on the radar to further up. And then a uh, guy who was really like off the radar almost entirely was Maddox Bruns, a lefty from Alabama who uh, was up to 97, um, you know, 6'2 left-hander, good curveball, throws a slider and uh, with good with with good cutter action to it. So uh, this sort of bookend, the, the top of the list, all arms, uh, of with guys who were kind of off the radar and have definitely popped on as, all right, we're going to have to really keep an eye on on these these high school arms with, with very, very good velocity, one right-hand or one lefty.
1: Yeah, what's interesting is, I mean, so right now, I mean, I don't know if we rank them one, two, three, but we could argue in some ways that the three best – the tops of the college high school list are all pitchers from Tennessee. I mean, you've got Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter at Vanderbilt and, and now Chase Burns at, at, at station camp in, in Tennessee. Uh, I guess the Tennessee area scouts will be uh, – very busy running around, or I guess able to stay at home a lot next year if if they're based in uh, in Tennessee, running around and seeing these guys. Yeah, I think
2: it'll be uh, it it'll, it'll be beneficial, and I have no idea how far Station Camp is from Vanderbilt's campus. Do you know that offhand?
1: I'm I'm going to Google it right now. So
2: right. Well, while you're looking, I'm thinking about like uh, this early the spring in the brief time that there was amateur baseball, the amount of scouts that went and saw Carson Tucker in a, in an afternoon high school game before heading to Arizona State. To see, you know, not just Spencer Torkelson, but you know, they had five players drafted. So for for most teams, it, you know, who weren't going to be uh, able to consider Torkelson, it was the the Gage Workmans uh, of of the of the world, um, the the Trevor Havers, RJ Dabovich, those guys. Um, so I would imagine if uh, if Station Camp is not that far from Vanderbilt's camp, thirty
1: minutes, only thirty minutes. Yes,
2: okay? yes, yeah, that's, that's going to be perfect for. Uh, for him you can go watch him and you know if if that high school program is smart they'll try to have him pitch uh uh, you know on days when Vanderbilt's also playing so teams can double up
1: well you know and it's gonna be great because a lot of the area scouts I think have Tennessee because of how good Vanderbilt is tend to live near the Nashville area so a lot of a lot of home cooking for the uh, Tennessee area scouts next year
0: Chase Burns, uh, six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pound right-hander, um, to me looked really athletic on the mound. Um, I heard on the broadcast uh, they were talking about him still having some projectability. Um, which, seeing a kid this age, I don't know what is he seventeen maybe? Um, throw ninety nine, be that athletic and and have projectability still to come is uh, pretty impressive.
1: It too, it'll be interesting. I mean, we, we got into it this year, which was obviously an unusual year, but you know, a lot of good arms, as Jonathan said, at that P- PG National with him and Andrew Painter and Christian Little and Maddox Bruns and on and on and on. You know, The first three guys are high school righties, and the industry is always a little skittish at high school righties, so it'll be kind of interesting to see where these guys shake out uh, You know, 12 months from now.
0: Yeah, I was going to bring up uh, Christian Little, who was number three on our list of top performers from uh, Perfect Game National. As uh, a right-hander from CBC High School in St. Louis, Missouri. And, Jonathan, I believe he was the highest-ranked player on your top 20 list uh, event. that that uh, participated in the event.
2: Yeah, that's right. He was number uh. F- Five overall, yeah. Five overall in the top twenty. Brady House was the one high schooler uh, ranked higher than him at number three, but House was not at PG National. So uh, that that is that is correct. And Little is a guy who's been around for for a while. I was talking um, with uh, our our cohort, uh, Mike Rosenbaum, uh, who remembered seeing Little uh, help pitch or pitch, he couldn't remember the exact thing, but I think he was part of a no-hitter at NHSI um, as a sophomore, or maybe even as a freshman. I don't remember when Christian Brothers was there, but, uh, you know, so he's a guy who's kind of been known for a little bit and has continued to to get better uh, as as he's progressed to what will be his, his draft year. And, uh, you know, he's number five on that list, and if uh, if he were to go to college, he'd go to Vanderbilt. So he could just, slide replaced Kumar rocker and Jack later. If, if the draft doesn't work out.
0: So we talked um, almost entirely about pitchers here. And, and as you said, it was, it's a pitching heavy list early on, but a couple of the bats that stood out at perfect game national and both of these guys uh, pretty well-known going into this thing. And uh, apparently did not disappoint scouts, uh, Ian Moeller catcher out of Iowa and Jordan Lawler, a shortstop out of Jesuit College Prep High School in Texas. And, yeah, I'm going uh, to both- have
1: lots of high school guys to write about next year, it looks like. That's fun. No, yeah, both of my part of the country. You know, Moeller, you know, with, with the, the Iowa kids, you know, Iowa's never had a high school first round pick. So it'll be interesting to see if Moeller could overcome that and, and kind of, you know, we t- I talked about how high school righties kind of scare uh, teams in the first round. High school catchers do too, but he's he, he's real interesting. Um, you know, he's got potential on both sides of the ball. I mean, and there's power there uh, that, that's interesting. And he's athletic behind the plate. He's got a good arm. He's got good receiving skills. So it's not a case of, you know, it seems like with a lot of, well, even like this year's draft, if you look at the high school catchers, Jonathan, Tyler Soderstrom won the best all around bats in the class, but he's going to stay behind the plate and drew Romo, right. tremendous defender, but he's going to hit. And I think Moeller kind of gives you both. So, so he, he's real exciting. And then, you know, I, I talked to a couple guys who were at the event and, and Jordan Lawler, who, you know, is another Vanderbilt commit. Um, we keep talking about Vandy guys here. I mean, you know, Moeller's going to LSU if he doesn't sign. You know, but Lawler, you know, showed very good speed, you know, made a lot of, you know, hard contact. Um, you know, he's got a projectable body. So I think there's more power to come, you know, good chance to stay at shortstop. So he's, he's a real interesting guy, too. You know, he's from Texas. Um, yeah, it was it was actually exciting. I mean, I'll confess I did not watch much of this live by any means, even though it was on our website. But it was just cool to actually have real prospects playing real baseball for the first time in more than three months. That was that was kind of exciting to be able yeah. to you know, look at video clips of guys and go, "Wow, this guy's actually doing something."
2: Well, and and then to have them perform well, like there was part of me is like, are they going to go out and you know pitchers are going to be throwing you know, 87 to 89 and hitters timings are going to be off. And uh, for them to show up and and be able to perform uh, is really exciting. I want to add one other note on, on Ian Mahler. Uh, There's one scout that I talked to who was at the event and he he loves catching and he could not stop gushing. I mean, not only did Mahler show, you know, the ability to turn on a pitch uh, and drill a ground rule double, then he went the other way, uh, made a lot of contact. But what the, the the thing that this scout told me about Mala that really was amazing to him is that when they're, you know, during uh, infield, outfield and things like that, when the catchers were kind of working out, he basically put five straight balls right on the bag at second base. And often on those drills, like they're just, they're thrown, you know, because they're trying to show good pop time and, and good velocity and things like that. You'll, you'll see catchers throw the ball in the center field because they're just cranking it. Uh, because the the recorded time sometimes end up lasting longer than the accuracy and he did that during practice and then there were two instances in games where runners went and he did it again and he just put the ball like right on the bag and he, he's like he can't remember a high school catcher who was that accurate um, both in practice and in 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 game situations so it's gonna be kind of fun to see what happens with him in the spring
0: all right, that is the perfect segue. Let's continue talking about catching. Uh, You're we, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, we just started a series where we are ranking the top 10 farm systems by position, um, going position by position, seeing which farm systems are strongest across the board. And we started with catchers. And uh, first of all, I don't. One of you could give us a little breakdown of uh, kind of how we're doing this, and uh, and uh, you know what you're looking at when you're determining which team is is strongest at each position.
1: Kind of similar, Jonathan, I would think to how we did the um, the farm system rankings. You know, we're looking at star talent and depth, and where you are in this, how close you are to the big leagues. I mean, I know. I think you and I've actually voted a little bit differently where maybe I lean kind of more to the star talent end of the spectrum. Maybe you lean toward the depth uh, part of the spectrum a little bit more. You know, Mike also voted, but you know, we, we thought it would be interesting since not much has changed in farm systems since we re-ranked them because there's only a little bit of spring training really to kind of break down which teams were the strongest in, in different positions. Yeah. And I think that's right. And, uh, and I I did, I leaned a little bit more
2: towards depth, but not considerably. And, you know, I have no problem with, you know, we had the Orioles at one uh, because of Adley Rushman, just because of, of the uh, elite level potential there. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, you know, I think, you know, maybe I like the A's a little bit better because they have uh, a little bit more, um, behind the plate, you know, in addition to Sean Murphy, uh, you know, they just drafted Tyler Soderstrom. You know, as we wrinkled in who they drafted, uh, Jonah Heim and Kyle McCann. Um, you know, so it, it's obviously all of this is subjective, and, but it's hard to find catching. So I think there were some of the systems where I looked at it and said, well, for them to have multiple guys is something worth noting. Um, you know, obviously, if uh, if the system is not particularly strong. Uh having a lot doesn't necessarily mean that
1: much if they're not you know projected to be strong contributors at the big level well, Jonathan, I thought one of the things that was kind of fun about doing this was we usually wait for all the draftees to sign before including them in lists. But as we talked about earlier in the podcast, we feel like virtually everybody from this draft is going to sign. And so we factored the draft guys in, you know, which is why the Giants, you know, wound up at number two between the Orioles and the Athletics. Because after using the number two overall pick on Joey Bart in 2018, they took another ACC catcher in the first round this year with Patrick Bailey at at number 13. Um, You know, the Yankees, their best catching prospect in my mind is Austin Wells, who they just took, you know, more of an offensive guy, but they just took him in this year's draft. Um, you know, and we mentioned Dylan Dingler when we we're talking about the Tigers and the guys they signed, um, you know, Dylan Dingler and Jake Rogers were enough to get the Tigers on 10th of the list. So it was kind of fun in a way to, to look at, the, yeah. at those guys and, and figure like, I'm not sure if we're doing corner infielders or middle infielders next. But, you know, Spencer Torkelson, will will factor into that, the, the corner and infield discussion, you know, when we do that. So it was kind of – it was interesting to me, at least, when I was looking and trying to vote for guys, like, looking to say, okay, like, you know, which which guys from this year's draft actually bolstered, uh, you know, the catching stockpiles their team's already had.
2: Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's speculative, then we might as well speculate that these guys are going to join. And I think it's interesting uh, because not only are we considering – you know, th- these new draftees, but in a lot of ways, you know, the guys from last year's draft class, we've not gotten a full look at, you know, typically by now we'll have gotten a sense of how they're faring through, you know, a half of their first full season. And that often informs whether or not we over or under ranked a guy based on, you know, uh, reports we were getting uh, from the draft and we haven't gotten that yet. So, there's a lot of speculation that we're going to be doing in these but uh, i think that's what makes it fun and kind of adds to adds to the debate a little bit
0: i was just comparing uh the list of farm systems with the best catching prospects uh comparing that to our list of the top 10 catching prospects in baseball and it at the top kind of goes down the line matches up pretty closely top catching prospect in baseball is Rutschman Orioles are number one uh, number two is Joey Bart Giants are number two Murphy is number three the A's are number three and then uh, the next couple of players on the top ten catching prospects list Luis Camposano and Francisco Alvarez uh, the Padres and Mets respectively and uh, those are two players who are highly ranked on that list but their players do not appear on this list.
1: And I think that's more a reflection of depth. I mean, I I think it's fair to say that Rutschman, Bart, and Murphy are kind of set themselves apart from the rest of the catching prospects in baseball, for one. Um, And there's depth behind them. I mean, well, Rutschman's Rutschman. And then both Bart and Murphy are supplemented by guys who were taken in the first round of this year's draft. And and I think when you look at the others, I mean, you know, the, the next best catcher in San Diego system is Blake Hunt who ranks 21st on their list, you know, the next best catcher uh, for, um, I've lost track. Who was the other catcher we didn't have on there? Alvarez. Alvarez, I'm sorry, is Ali Sanchez, who's 26th on the Mets list. I mean, I think you can argue them, you know, at the end of the list, you know, Dalton Varsho is another guy. He's the only catcher, I think, on on Arizona's top 30 and didn't make it. Um, So, I mean, there are some interesting ones. I mean, I, I thought one of the closer ones to making it, that didn't it was Tyler Stevenson who who just missed making our top 100 with the Reds, and they also took Jackson Miller in this year's draft. You know the Brewers had some support. Um, it's interesting. You know they have uh, you know Mario Feliciano who had a really good year in Class A last year. They drafted Xavier Warren, who's who they're going to try to make a catcher this year, and they had four other guys. Now granted, their farm system we had ranked the 30th best in baseball, but they're probably going to have six catchers. On their top 30 when we updated, so it's like I said. I mean, they, they, you know, as Jonathan said, these are subjective. We've uh, we've had had a number of complaints on Twitter. As anytime you rank anything, if you don't rank Twitter users' favorite team or favorite player, you hear about it, and, and we have. But I thought it was kind of interesting uh, to kind of stir up the discussion and. You know, maybe this is something we do going forward. I don't think we've done this in a while. Maybe at least not since I don't think I've been at, at MLB.com. But I thought it was kind of an interesting way to look at these things.
0: All right. We're going to wrap up this week's Pipeline podcast with an interview that Jonathan did with Mariners outfield prospect, Julio Rodriguez. But before we do, a word from a sponsor. Uh, in production for five years, Roland Colton's brand-new baseball thriller, Baseball Immortal brings action onto the field of play never imagined or seen before depicting events that will startle and enrapture fans. Download daily episodes, audio or print free of charge while you're waiting for the season to start. Go to RolandColton.com. That's R-O-L-A-N-D-C-O-L-T-O-N.com.
2: Happy to be joined by one of the top prospects in all of baseball, Julio Rodriguez with the Seattle Mariners. And Julio, it's good to see you again, my friend. Uh, how uh, I guess you know the, the big open ended question is you know how are you doing you know doing during all this downtime?
3: I mean I'm doing great right now to be honest. Like I I, I have this place to train. I've been hitting too. I've been working out a lot, so I've been doing great despite all the all this tough time for us.
2: Now where are you exactly, and and how did you end up there?
3: I'm in Tampa, and I'm not here because my agent who. He didn't want me to, like, just to see around the Dominican. So he asked me if, if I wanted to keep training and stay in here in the United States. I was like, yeah, I'm down for that. Like, I know if I was in the in the I might be just quarantining myself. But here I have the opportunity to train and keep getting better, too. So I'm in Tampa right now.
2: I want to talk about the training in a little bit. Has it been difficult at all to be away from family during, you know, all the, all the stuff with the pandemic and, and quarantining and – you know, making sure that they're they're okay is is has that been you know you're used to being away from them, you know during the the this time of year normally, but you you would be out playing baseball every day. Is has it been hard at all not you know not being able to be with them during all this?
3: Yeah, it's really hard because you know you care about your family and all that and with everything going on. You just wanna be with them, but it's 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 good to me that you know that they are like away from everything like. They're staying safe, too. so that made me feel better. But it's a little hard because because of, of the time that we're going through right now.
2: So take me through what your day is, is like. Uh, you know, obviously your routine during the course of a minor league season would be much different. Uh, you would be preparing differently. You'd be taking care of your body probably differently. Are you, like, is this just, like, super extended spring training time? Like, what,
3: what, what you know, what have you been doing every day? So every, my, my everyday Schedule looks like this. Uh, I wake up like around 8.30 every morning. And then I go to to this training facility that I go, like around 10.30, 11. So we train there for like an hour or two. And then after that, I go hit or play catch or whatever I got to do after that. And then just go back in here. So I, I pretty much just do workouts and all that for like two hours, maybe hit for like 30 to 45, 30 to an hour. And then sometimes I do yoga. So that's, that's pretty much it, what I do every single day. Was yoga a part of your practice before all of this, or is that something you've added recently? So that's something I added, too, because I wanted to be more, even more flexible and add that, too. I better stuff to my body.
2: Has it been hard? Like, you're a guy that I know that you love being around people. Uh, you know, you've got a ton of personality. Uh, has that has it been hard to adhere to the you know sort of sticking to yourself? It sounds like you're pretty much working out and going home. Uh, yeah. That's it. Uh, for a guy who likes to to be around people as much as you, is that is that part of this been hard?
3: it's uh, it's been kind of, kind of difficult to be honest because I like to like to go out, like talk to people, like interact with people, as you said. But it's been really hard for me. But you know what? I'm always like playing video games with my, with my friends, so I feel like a little close to them. Like while we we're talking, like and playing too, so I, that made it a little easier. But it's still been hard for me.
2: What uh, what what are your go-to video games? What are the ones that you like to play the most?
3: Uh, I play Call of Duty all day, like literally all day. Whenever I'm not training, I'm just playing Call of Duty. That's how I do. Um, you know we we've, we've talked a lot about how hard
2: you've worked on your English, almost you know almost as much as you work on your hitting. Uh, yeah. Maybe you don't like it quite as much, but, you know, your English has gotten so much better each time I've talked to you. Uh, what have you been doing during this to continue to work on that? Is it just, you know, watching TV? Is it, you know, how, how have you improved that, especially because you're not in a clubhouse with English speakers where you can work on one-on-one?
3: Like, even even playing. Like, my game is all in. My phone is all in. It's like, the friends, some, some of the friends I play, they're American, too, so – we, I'm always, like, interacting with people, like, even through my phone, even writing in the game, FaceTiming, like, so I always got people, like, to talk to in English, so that's why I'm able to keep practicing even in this time, too, when I'm not seeing people.
2: What, you know, it sounds like you're making the best of the situation and you're continuing to try to, to, to get better. Uh, where would you say the frustration level is for you at this point, just in terms of, wanting to, to get out on a field and, and, and play baseball? And how have you managed to not, like, let that kind of eat you up too much?
3: I mean, it's, I, I'm, I cannot wait for it. Like, I, I just want even to practice, like, on the real field. Like, even take a big like, strike or whatever. I just want to do something on the field. Like, I just cannot wait for it. But I'm trying to stay calm, like, just let the situation go as, as I always do. But I just cannot wait for it i cannot literally cannot wait for at least to, to have a full practice like outside of the field,
2: I guess you're not alone
3: right you're all in the same boat of this
2: like having to press pause on baseball so it's not it's not like it's not like you're injured and you're sitting there watching everyone else play at least you can you can kind of uh complain about it to all with all of your teammates
3: We're all waiting for this it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna raise. like if you would ask asked me like four or five months ago of oh, this others were going on right now, I'll be like, you're crazy. There's no way I would. this will cross, cross my mind.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we talked to Rookie Career Development Program, you know, I think you were kind of thinking, all right, well, I made it, uh, you know, I made it up to this level this year. Maybe I can really kind of start forcing the, the Mariners' hands. And, uh, you know, if, if everything fell together, maybe you could, Try to make it difficult for them to not bring you up to Seattle at some point this year. No. <laughs> Do you still have that kind of like desire and that
3: push to to get there? Or right now it's just if I going anywhere. If I get a chance, I'm gonna keep pushing. I'm telling you, if I get a chance, I'm gonna keep pushing no matter what, and because that's my dream. I'm chasing my dream. I'm not gonna stop no matter what. Like if I get like even one opportunity, I'm gonna take advantage of it. Like no matter where, when. I'm just gonna keep pushing that.
2: I know that you know you and Jared Kelnick are always kind of mentioned in the in the same conversation because you're both outfield prospects. You're both among the best prospects in all of baseball. How much of that is a is a friendly competition with the two of you? Obviously, you're not you know together right now, day in and day out. But you know, do, do you guys you know push each other to keep you know making sure that. You know, you're you're both pushing each other up to, to Seattle. Any any friendly competition about who gets there first?
3: No, it's it it is funny to be honest. It is funny because we know we we both know that we're good. And we're kinda like every time we're together, we always trying to get the best out of the other. So all the time doing whatever, even heating off the team, we always like trying to get the best of each other. Like, but we know that we're competing, but it's we also know like it's really friendly. Like we got advice, we we, have, we give advice to each other, and we always trying to like compete, like even doing sprints or throwing, like whatever. We always try to compete because we both know we're good, and if we both push, push each other, we always we always going to get to an, that next level. It's nice to have someone like that, right? Who, who yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool because I sometimes you feel like, uh I need somebody to compete, like as a friendly competition, just to help you to get better. Like some, somebody that you say, oh, we are like in this level, so we can both compete and push each other to the next level. So that's pretty cool to have somebody like him.
2: In addition to all of the stuff with the, the COVID pandemic that you've had to, to, to deal with, uh, you know, you've been here in, in the United States uh, when there's been a, a lot of uh, social and racial unrest after the, you know, after the death of George Floyd, uh, the Black Lives Matter protests all over the country, all over the world, really. Uh, you know, as a, a young man who, who is a, a man of color, you know, uh, especially probably in the eyes of a, a lot of people in, in this country, what is your take been on everything that, that's been going on?
3: I think, I think everything they're doing is really good because we all deserve our rights. Like, if... It doesn't matter, like, or call it, like, it doesn't matter at all. We always got to deserve be treated equally. That's how I feel. I feel like everything they're doing is pretty cool. Like, I know, like, I have heard from a lot of my friends that, that it's actually something that is going on. And you can see it. You can see it. You can, you can feel it sometimes whenever you're around people that you actually don't like. I have, I have, I have experienced it, but I'm, I'm a really positive pe- person. So I don't really, like, think about it that much. It's not like be on my own line, but I think it's really, really good that all this movement that everybody is doing to get the right, the right thing going on.
2: It's been cool to see um, the response, especially of like superstar players, uh, especially the black players in terms of the, using their platforms to, I, you know, I, I've been covering baseball for a long time and I don't remember seeing baseball players uh, feeling comfortable enough to To speak out in, in the way they they have that must it's been cool to see these superstars come out and, and really speak about these important issues.
3: Yeah, it's really it's really cool. Like it really imp- inspires me even even to speak out too to some of my players. Like use my Instagram to post about it too. Because if I see them, like they're like my example. Like that, those are the guys that lead everything. Like the superstar and like everything like that. So it's really it's, – it's great for me to see that they are coming together, no matter the color, no matter, like, where they came from, all that. It's really cool for me, like, because I see that our sport, like, we have, like, really good players and really good people too. Awesome,
2: Julio. As always, it's great to talk to you. I hope – I hope the next time we're talking it's behind a batting cage or in a dugout or something <laughs> where, where we're both supposed to be.
3: Yeah, like I'm, I really need that back. I really need that back. Eventually. Eventually it'll happen. All right. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you again soon. All right. Thank you. Have a nice day.
2: Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's getroman.com/mlb.
1: getroman.com/mlb.